Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trials stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. On our last episode, Jason Sheffield, the lead attorney for Travis McMichael, concluded his questioning of Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent Richard Dial at a hearing that would determine whether there was probable cause for the three men to face trial for felony murder. In the state of Georgia, an individual commits felony murder when he unlawfully and with malice aforethought either express or implied causes the death of another human being, or when in the commission of a felony he causes the death of another human being, irrespective of malice. All three men are accused of causing Mr. Arbery's death in the commission of a felony. For the McMichaels, the underlying felony is aggravated assault. For William Bryan, the underlying felony is unlawful imprisonment. On this episode, we conclude our coverage of that pretrial hearing with an examination of Agent Dial's questioning by attorneys for Travis McMichael's co-defendants, his father Greg McMichael, and their neighbor, William Bryan. We'll bring that to you right after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Franklin Hogue represents the 64-year-old defendant Gregory McMichael at the hearing. At the trial, he will do the same, along with his wife and law partner of nearly 25 years, Laura Hogue. Hogue wears a long, graying ponytail and a stern and deliberate affect. At a later pretrial hearing, Franklin Hogue will spend an astonishing five minutes admonishing Judge Timothy Walmsley, the man who will become the trial judge in this case, for reading while Hogue was addressing the court. The judge in that matter seemed stupefied. In this hearing, Hogue is similarly direct in his questioning. Hogue begins by asking Agent Dial about the timing and legal basis for the initial arrest warrants. I'm just interested in the two warrants that I'm holding that you swore out against Greg. Okay, those yes. are the ones I want to talk about. Um, you wrote these two warrants yourself? Yes, I believe. Well... Myself and another agent helped type me out, type it out, and then I present to the judge, swore it, and offered oral testimony and then signed it. Now, in the warrant you wrote, if you, now you have a copy of it, the one charging Greg McMichael with aggravated assault, you chose to charge him as a party to aggravated assault, and you cite the statute, OCGA section 16521. Uh, did you have to look up that statute to get the number right? Or do you know that? Uh, that statute, I believe I had to look up to find 16521. And you wrote party to that crime. Did you look up OCGA 16220, the party to a crime statute? I don't recall if I looked that up or not because I did not reference the actual OCGA number in the warrant for party to the crime. But you're familiar with that statute? Yes, sir. I've charged people with part of the crime. 
Right. You're familiar enough with it to know that it has several different ways in which a person can be a party to a crime. Yes, sir. And under 16220B3, the statute says intentionally aids or bets in the commission of the crime, and that's the one you chose. Right? Yes, sir. Because later on in the warrant, you use those words aided and abetted. Yes, sir. Are you a lawyer? No, sir. I'm a police officer. Well, since you chose aiding and abetting, you know what those words mean? I do. Yes, sir. What, what do they mean? Assisting someone. Assisting? Yes, sir. That's my definition of it. Does aiding and abetting mean the same thing? Both words? To my parlance, yes, sir. And that's okay. I, this isn't a trick question. I'm not. I understand. It sounds like a trick question. It does. That is Judge Wallace Harrell interjecting. Hogue appears to be laying the groundwork for an argument that Agent Dial misapplied the felony aggravated assault law to Greg McMichael's conduct. When Hogue talks about 16.521, he is referring to Georgia's aggravated assault statute. A person is considered guilty of that crime if he commits an act which places another in reasonable apprehension of immediately receiving a violent injury, or if he aids, abets, or intentionally advises in the commission of that assault. If the felony assault is deemed to have been misapplied, then the felony murder charge against Greg McMichael would be dismissed as well. <laughs> it's not. I assure you, it's not. I'm trying to figure out what you mean in your warrant. You say, essentially, aiding and abetting mean assisting. <coughs> so, you, to use regular words and not legal terms, you charge Greg McMichael with assisting, and I'll read it, Travis McMichael, when he, Travis, pointed and discharged a shotgun, which is a deadly weapon capable of causing death or serious bodily injury at Amon Arbor. That's what that one says, right? Yes, sir. So it's assisting Travis in the pointing and the discharging of a shotgun. Now, at Mr. Aubrey, yes, sir. Correct. Now tell us what Greg McMichael did to assist Travis in the pointing and discharging of a shotgun. Initially, it was Greg McMichael that advised his son that Ahmad Aubrey was running down the road. Greg McMichael armed himself, as well as Travis armed himself. They both entered the vehicle. When um, they caught up Mr. Aubrey, Mr. Aubrey turned and went back up Buford, or Burford, I'm sorry. Greg McMichael exited the vehicle, was approaching, saw that he was going back up Burford, went back to Travis McMichael and said, come on, back the car up, you know, let's go. Otherwise, encouraging him to box him in, pointing his direction out. That's when Travis said, no, let's circle around. When they circled around, Greg McMichael is in the back of the truck on 911. You hear him say, stop, stop, and then him yell, Travis, on the 911 call. To me, that is assisting Travis first. He is the first one that initiates the entire event <clears throat> that, that accumulated in the death of Mott Aubrey. Second, while I put aided, embedded, assisted, however you want to phrase it, he's encouraging the continued pursuit and the final confrontation with Ahmaud Aubrey. And then while he's on 911 call, he alerts Travis of Ahmaud Aubrey's approach. 
on the passenger side of the vehicle. Okay, I got all that. You're not saying, though, are you, Agent Dial, that when Greg McMichael did all of those things you just described leading up to the shooting, that he did all of those things to assist Travis McMichael, knowing that he was going to point and discharge his shotgun during all of that time that you just described? You're not saying that. I am saying that Greg McMichael knew that Travis McMichael had a shotgun. I do not believe that Greg McMichael thought that Travis McMichael had a shotgun for decorative purposes or that he had it for the purpose that he may use it. And that's what Greg McMichael knew when he engaged in those acts. Do you take the position that he knew that Travis McMichael would indeed point and discharge that firearm that day when he did all those previous things? I, I think he knew it would be a distinct possibility. Otherwise, why would Travis McMichael have the shotgun when he gets in the car? Okay. I think it's a foreseeable consequence of what happened. All right. Now, earlier in your testimony, you attributed to Greg McMichael the words that he said to Travis McMichael, don't shoot. That's what Greg McMichael told the first responding officers he said. However, the 911 call which recorded his statement at shooting does not reflect that. As a reminder, the 911 call to which Agent Dial refers was placed at 1.14 p.m. on February 23, 2020. The call was initially logged as an unidentified male caller and later identified as Greg McMichael. The caller said to the dispatcher, quote, I'm out here at Satilla Shores. There's a black man running down the street, end quote. When the dispatcher asked where in Satilla Shores, the caller replied, I don't know what street we're on. The dispatcher then heard the caller yelling at someone who was apparently running on the road in front of him. Quote, Hey, stop. What are you? Watch that. Stop, damn it. We want to talk to you. End quote. Agent Dial continues. I think what Greg McMichael told the first phone officer is what Greg McMichael had going through his mind. However, he did not, I do not believe he actually said those words. But I think at that point, he knew that Travis McMichael was fixing to fire the shotgun and kill him on Aubrey. And so you think Greg McMichael had in his mind at that moment the oh, words, don't shoot? I think he was hoping that Travis would not shoot at that moment. Yes, sir. Let me talk to you about the interview or interviews of Greg McMichael. <clears throat> now, you mentioned at least one interview conducted by Glenn County Police Department. Yes, you're aware of, right? Well, Yes, one was done at the Glen County Police Department by a detective. One was done on scene by one of their first responding officers. And the one on scene, let's talk about that one first. Was it on a body cam? It was, yes, sir. So it's recorded video and audio? Yes, sir. you remember that officer's name? I do not remember that officer's name. Um, he did a report, I believe it. I, I do not recall his name. You, you reviewed that body cam video? I, well, the... There's body cameras from the entire event that he's out there, so it's not just the video of Greg Michael. It's from the time he's there until he leaves. So I don't know how long the entire camera is or how long specifically the interview with Greg Michael was. Well, part of that, whatever length of body cam footage we're talking about, part of it included that officer talking directly to Greg Michael. Yes, sir, that's correct. Standing outside in the, in the street, I guess? Yes, sir, by the truck beside Travis McMichael's truck. And no, just 
guess as to how long that interview was? I, I wouldn't hazard a guess, sir. Was he consistent in what he said during that 30 minute, and I'll just call it 30 minutes, knowing it might be more or less, that interview, was that consistent with what he said on the body cam at the scene? It was with the exception on the scene, he made the statement that he was yelling, Travis, don't, don't shoot him, where when we went at the Glen County Police Department, he did not make that, that make the statement that he had said those words. Other than that, yes, I believe it was consistent. Tell us anything he said during that 30 minute at the police station interview that would show that he knew that he was assisting or aiding and abetting, intending to aid and abet Travis McMichael in the pointing and discharging of a shotgun at a monarch. He outlined the facts that I presented earlier that he was working in the front yard, saw Maud Aubrey run by, <clears throat> went into the house, told Travis McMichael that that was him. They both grabbed guns. They got in the vehicle. They pursued Ahmad Aubrey. Again, he indicated that he exited the vehicle, um, tried to encourage Travis McMichael to go back um, and engage Ahmad <clears throat> Aubrey. Travis McMichael said, no, get in. We're going to circle around. They circled around. Um, he indicated that um, he was in the back of the truck at that point, that um, he saw Ahmaud Aubrey come running at Travis. He says two shots. He's consistent on that during both statements. Um, and, and he's obviously wrong about that. Right? He is, yes, sir. But you don't think he was lying? He was just wrong? I, I do not think he was lying. I think he was just wrong. I don't, my opinion is he did not <clears throat> register the first shot that occurred. After eliciting these statements from Agent Dial, confirming his impression that Greg McMichael was trying to be truthful even when he was wrong about certain facts, Defense Attorney Hogue moves on to question Dial regarding how thoroughly he and his fellow agents canvassed the Satilla Shores neighborhood for evidence related to the incident. Well, here's what I'm going to get at with that set of questions. All the streets we're talking about, the Zellwoods, Satilla, Jones Road, Holmes Road, there's Burford. Mm -hmm. Those are all the streets in issue here. Yes. Um, have you been around, you and you and all your law enforcement agents, been around to knock on every door on all those streets to ask the residents if they saw anything or if they have surveillance cameras in their homes pointed at the street? Yes, sir, I believe so. We did a thorough neighborhood canvas of Satilla Shores as well as the area where Mr. Aubrey lives, as well as the next subdivision over, um, yes. asking the same questions. All right, sticking just with Satilla Shores, though, are you saying that you and your agents in this canvassing have indeed gone to every house in there on these streets that we're talking about? I believe so, sir. I'd have to check the map that we did. Uh, so we did a thorough canvas of that. And the... The mission of the canvas was what I just said to ask residents, did you see or hear anything, and do you have surveillance cameras, and can we look at them? And if you've seen a model Aubrey running in the neighborhood. And, and have you seen a model Aubrey running in your neighborhood? Yes. Although Agent Dial does not mention it, it's worth noting that the New York Times reported that friends and family of Mr. Arbery have said he was an avid jogger who was often seen running in and around his neighborhood. Right. Did you find anyone 
in that canvassing who said, yeah, I saw something relevant to the day in question, February 23rd. Other than the people we've already talked, talked about. about. Thank you. Um, not any that saw the event occur. Um, I do not believe so. We asked about surveillance video. Um, there was none other that we gathered from those inquiries involving the surveillance video of the area. Like I said, we did uncover people that saw Maude Aubrey running in the neighborhood in the past. Okay, so nobody saw or heard anything other than the people we've talked about. Of the, of the actual incident, yes. Right. I believe. And well, that heard, what, we did find people that heard the gunshots, yes. Sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Right. Fair enough. Now, I'm going to ask this, you know, I'm, I'm doubting you have this, but I've actually been in a case with the GBI before where this was discussed. Have you attempted to or think it's possible to find satellite video that would have captured the scene that day? I have not made that nor consider that to be a possibility. Thinking about it now? You brought it up, sir, so mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll be exploring it. Let us know if you find anything. Okay. That's all I have. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. After Mr. Hogue returns to his seat, Kevin Goff, a criminal defense attorney who has been practicing in Glynn County for over 30 years, rises to question Agent Dial on behalf of his client, William Roddy Bryan. According to his own bio, Goff has been elected twice as chair of the Republican Party of Glynn County, Georgia, and has also served on the district and state committees of the Georgia GOP. He has also served on the Glynn County Board of Elections. Goff begins with the subject of racial animus. Sir, I'm going to try not to ask too many questions. My first question is this. Mm -hmm. Is there any evidence of racial animus on the part of Roddy Bryan against Mr. Arbery? Specifically against Mr. Arbery or in general? That's the first question. Specifically against Mr. Arbery. I've seen no communications involving that with in, in regards to Mr. Arbery. No, sir. Very good. Is, there, is your investigation uncovering any evidence that race played a role in the actions of Roddy Ryan on 2-23-20? Mr. Goff, I'm trying to answer your question as thoroughly as I can. Revealed as far as my opinion of motivation and reasons behind actions. Well, I'll take your opinion first. Yes, sir, it did. You believe it did? Yes, sir. Okay, well, following up on your opinion, uh, is there any evidence that race played a role in the actions of Roddy Bryan on 223-20? There's evidence that of Roddy Bryan's racist attitude in his communications. Okay. And from that, I extrapolate the reason why he made assumptions he did that day of what was occurring. He saw a man running down the road with a truck following him, and I believe he made certain assumptions that were at least in part based upon his racial bias. All right. You're familiar with the concept of the implicit bias? 
not an attorney, sir. Oh, all right. Let me be more specific. Uh, did your investigation uncover any trash talk uh, on social media by Mr. Brian against Mr. Arbor or his family or anybody else? No, sir. Okay. And, and we'll get into some of those details later, but it's fair to say that, that Mr. Brian gave you access to approximately five years worth of posts on social media. Uh, yes, sir. He, gave, he was cooperative and gave us access to everything. Right. So we don't have a, 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 any racist talk on there, do we? Not in social media. There was on his phone communication. On his phone? Okay. Yes, uh, and, of course, he gave you consent to search his phone, did he not? He did, yes. But on, on the facts, we seem to largely be in agreement about that, <coughs> if I'm judging it correctly. Did you find then something on his phone that you found troubling with respect to whether this case involves racial animus? I did, yes. Sir. Can you tell us what that is? There were various comments that Mr. Bryan made concerning race using racial derogative terms, statements that he made in reference to, I think he was at an airport and he said it's great, there's not as many and he used a racial term up here. Stuff that I felt showed his viewpoint and bias that I believe, based upon my opinion, played a role in how he interpreted what he saw that day and <coughs> the actions he took. Of course, those communications are also not, however regrettable and unfortunate, not all that uncommon in the South, are they? I, I will tell you, sir, there were terms that he used that I've never encountered before in my experience for racial term he used. So as far as the generality of racial comments, I, I don't know, Mr. Goff. During the next segment of his inquiry, Defense Attorney Goff poses questions that seem to seek an understanding of how Agent Dial came to the conclusion that William Bryan was trying to falsely imprison Mr. Arbery. Now, in your um, testimony, you indicated that Mr. Bryan made several attempts, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but several somewhat ambiguous, several attempts to block Mr. Arbery's path or change his direction. Yes, okay. that's correct. The first of those occurs when he pulls out of his driveway, am I correct? That's correct, yes. Now, you've watched the video yourself, have you not? Um, the reenactment video prepared by Agent Secret. I've seen parts of it. I don't know if I've seen the entire of the video. Well, you've been out to, to Mr. Bryant's house, have you not? I have, yes. And there's a tree and a big bunch of bushes there on, yes, the, on the left as you pull out of his driveway. Yes. Okay. So when we say that Mr. Bryant was trying to block Mr. Arbery, did Mr. Bryant not tell you that isn't that consistent with your observation? that his view down the street of the McMichael's truck and Mr. Arbery was very limited? Yes, sir. My understanding was his intention was to turn left, but then as he pulled out, he saw Mr. Arbery, so he pulled in to try to block him <coughs> that turn. Well, so when he, I mean, if your question is when he came up with the mental decision, the plan to block him, um, I believe that was when he was intending to turn left, saw him, and then decided to try to block him in. So he didn't turn fully left. He turned partially well, left. Well, I don't even know if he, actually made the turn. He didn't get that specific in the interviews that I'm aware of. Um, he just indicated that he was pulling out, okay. saw them. That's my understanding, counsel. Well, we're not going to quibble over those details today. He pulls out in the street, and Mr. Arbery runs to the, the drainage area that's to the side of the street. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is the first time that you contend that Mr. Bryan tried to block the path of travel of Mr. Arbery. I believe that was what, um, that, I believe that was the statement that was given, yes, sir. That, that, your investigation, that's what you, that's what you believe? Yes, sir. Okay. What's the second time that Mr. Arbery tries to block the path of Mr. Arbery? 
Mr. Bryan indicates that he tried several times to block him in in his statement that he gave to the Gun County PD on the day that this occurred, that there were multiple instances that he tried to block him in. Um, is also referenced at the time on Holmes Road um, that he tried to block him in as well. well I'm trying to go through them one at a time. We've discussed where he pulls that into in the, in the street, and Mr. Arbery actually turns out to be right there. We've discussed that. Mm -hmm. What is the next time? I understand from the Glenn County, the statement given to the Glenn County Police Department is very difficult to, to get into some of those details. Am I correct? Uh, yes, sir. They, they didn't. You're asking me to parse out exactly the location of where he made this move, whatever, that was not covered in the Glenn County Police Department interview. It was just his statement that he tried multiple times to try to block him in, to, um, you know, stop him, detain him, how, whatever phrasing you would like to use in reference to that. Well, Mr. Ryan never used the word detain, did he? He did not, no, sir. He said stop, stop, block, block stuff like that. Um, yes, sir. Okay which to so, me means detain. Defense attorney Goff then, somewhat confusingly, tries to make the case that his client, Mr. Bryan, was actually trying to escape from Mr. Arbery. And when he talked to the Boone County Police Department on February 23rd, his testimony then and subsequently was that he felt he made a terrible mistake because Mr. Arbery turned back towards him and he felt Mr. Arbery was going to get in his vehicle. I know he testified that he felt that Mr. Arbery was going to get into the in his vehicle but I also know that he also continued to pursue Mr. Aubrey after that event. And we'll come to that. But at the time that Mr. Aubrey is in contact with Mr. Bryan's motor vehicle, Mr. Bryan is traveling in reverse, attempting to get away from Mr. Aubrey. He can't get any closer. So do you have some evidentiary basis for the, the, the suggestion today that Mr. Bryan's vehicle was moving forward rather than in reverse? When Mr. Arbery made contact with the vehicle? No, sir. All I have is Mr. Bryan's statement that he sped up the vehicle. I do not know the direction of travel of his vehicle, whether he went backwards or forward when he sped up. I'm going by his statement on the day okay. of the murder. So we arrested Mr. Bryan on the assumption that his vehicle was moving forward. Even though on May 13th, he told Officer Jason Seacrest clearly and emphatically that he was trying to go backwards to get distance between himself. Objection, compound question, argumentative, relevance. You can answer the question. Let's, let's leave that subject. I think we, yes, sir. I think we got that. No, sir. That was not the basis of my arrest, Mr. Bryan. It was his statement that he attempted to block, pin, however, whatever phrasing you would like to use, but detain Mr. Aubrey without legal authority. And by doing so, he contributed to Mr. Aubrey's death. Kevin Goff concluded his questioning soon after that exchange, and the hearing came to an unceremonious close. Within a few hours, Judge Harrell issued orders that the three men be committed to the Superior Court of Glynn County to answer to charges including false imprisonment, aggravated assault, and felony murder. Kevin Goff's unconventional and sometimes confounding courtroom style masks his 30 years of criminal trial experience with Glynn County juries. It bears watching whether his style is uniquely tailored to a jury from this community. There has been much attention in recent days to the fact that the jury in this trial will be composed of 11 white people and only one black person. On our next episode, our consulting producer, Paul Butler, and I will examine the jury that has been impaneled in the trial with particular focus on the role of race in the selection of jurors. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. This episode was written by Art Montrostelli. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracom. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>